0: you're listening to Object of Sound from Sonos the show where we bring you in tune with the music that shapes our culture when music lives in the air it's one thing but when you know the undercurrents and the ideas that went into a song when you can feel its weight it becomes more meaningful I'm Hanif Abdurraqib a poet and culture critic, and I'll be your guide as we seek a deeper way of listening. Welcome back, everyone. This is the first episode of our second season of Objective Sound. We've been away from each other for about a month now. I hope that you are listening to music with the windows open or the windows down or sitting on a swing or a porch or a patio or wherever you most feel at home and able to enjoy music. I've missed you. I've missed talking tunes and talking to people about tunes. So it is great to be back. The big project of Object of Sound for me is Building a community of listeners in a shared listening experience where we can be able to think about music together in a broader sense. And my real hope is that this show can be kind of a source of community for listeners and uh, that we can all kind of share music with each other as it comes to us and as we move through our unique journeys of listening. So I've been spending some time thinking about music now in the present and how it is a little different than where it was when we were last in production just a month ago. There's a newfound sense of possibility. The world is prepared to host live music more than it was before. And people are stockpiling concert tickets for the summer and fall. And musicians are kind of re entering this era and bringing new work and sharing it with the world. An artist emblematic of this re entering and re emergence is Mickey Blanco.
1: He my little me ice cream They're releasing
0: Broken Hearts and Beauty Sleep, their first album in over five years, which comes out the same day as this episode. So I hope you'll listen to this first and then go listen to that album. You maybe know Mickey Blanco for their high-profile collaborations with Tiana Taylor or Charlie XCX. Or if you're like me, you've known Mickey Blanco for a while primarily for their stunning, singular, high-energy stage performances and the ways that their songs on record translate that energy and almost transmit it into the body of the listener. They're also interesting to me because of not only how they play with gender and presentation to the public, but more importantly, I think, how they play with power. And in doing so, how they take back some power from... Industry and genre that maybe has not been checking for them. And that allows them some room to be high concept and creative, not just in music making, but in every art medium they take on. Just a little bit, little bit, so I wanted to open season two with Mickey Blanco because we are in an era of renewal and return, according to my friends who are into astrology. It seemed appropriate to sit and have a conversation about our many returns, about being ahead of our time or in line with our time and about the goodness of time off and how that can lead to really beautiful creation. And then I will guide you through a playlist of black, queer and trans artists who are operating both outside of the constraints of the industry and outside of time. So you'll hear from artists like the late, great Jackie Shane and also Big Frida, who features on Mickey's album. You can hear that playlist on Mixcloud.com slash Sonos, and we'll leave a link to it in the show notes. To close out the show, I'll tell a story about one of my favorite bands that was also, quote, ahead of their time and how that label can be both generous to the future and selfish to the present.
1: When you blink and you cannot breathe, I cannot leave the feeling. It's inconclusive, down
0: Hi, Mickey. How are you? Hi, Hanif. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to hear your voice. For those of you listening, just a moment ago, Mickey and I decided to do this interview with the camera off, and it was good to see you briefly for a second. I loved what you said about cameras off during interviews because I do think it adds to a kind of casual... I don't need to read people's faces. I enjoy reading the reading of the voice, the sonic reading.
1: Well, yeah. it's. I mean, I, to be, I, think, I think Zoom is horrible, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been thinking about your journey and what it is to jump back into the promotion of an album with this big of a, this big of a gap. I mean, it's been a while. And uh, are you feeling full or drained or somewhere in the middle?
1: No, I'm feeling really full. I'm really, I'm really, really full because the thing is, is that at the onslaught of my career in 2012, a lot of the outlets, a lot of the people, a lot of a lot of people who are very pro queer and very they them and very like you know with the with with the moment were not with the moment in 2012. They were not with my moment. Everything I was doing was taboo, and I had to fight tooth and nail for everything. And it's, like, when I came out about being HIV positive, that was a very personal moment that, like, I had to do for my own mental health. But, like, now, now that years have passed, I realize how shook that made a lot of people. Like, right. I was doing it for my own mental health. I was so depressed. I thought I couldn't have a love life. So that was a very personal thing. But, like, now, now that I look back on it and I'm, like, God, like, I've really shaken the table a few damn times. <laughs> even though i had a really great string of singles in the beginning even though um i made sure that my music videos weren't shitting because i was like my visual language is what is going to get people to understand what i'm actually doing those are all really wonderful great things but the live show is what gave me my following it's like it's why you know me today like i created Mm -hmm. like i created an unforgettable experience that would draw people to me. So, in doing that, in touring so much, in playing so many shows, you know, it was great, great, great for the career, but I wasn't spending enough time in the studio. And kind of, I was I was taking so much pride in being this live performer, this international showgirl. And so... You know, I did not start making music until I was 25 years old.
0: Yeah, somehow that makes sense to me. I do think of you as a musician, but I also really think of you as a performer. Like,
1: I come from a multidisciplinary art background. Like, she is an art girl. Like, I thought I was going to be a contemporary artist. Like, I thought I was going to be a conceptual artist. And in the very beginning stages of Mickey Blanco, I still, I, I thought about everything in, in this interdisciplinary art context. And so... When it finally did shift over into music, and and all of a sudden I realized I was making music, I wasn't one of those people that was like, oh, I've been wanting to be a musician since I was 12, and I've played in bands. I I really, when I had an idea for a song or when I had an idea for a concept, it was very rooted in like, let's see what this is gonna be. Like, you know, like when I did that mixtape, Gay Dog Food, I was like, I wanna make feminist grunge industrial rap. See what I can slay. Hey, life. To or when like, I, I did betty rebel the initiation i was like i want to make like goth rap music but like actual goth rap music and so i worked with send and then i did that song the initiation which was the lead single where i rap entirely in latin I've been So it's like when you look at someone making decisions like this, these aren't very like careerist industry. let me let let me come out with the hit. Let me come out with the hit. Like these aren't like hit making decisions, right? But it's what I was doing because I wanted to
0: do it, right? So how did you transition to thinking of yourself as a musician? As someone who can go out and make a full album like Broken Hearts and Beauty Sleep. So
1: after the Mickey album had come out, I had worked with Woodkid, and we recorded the album in Paris. And you know, and Woodkid is, is a director and, and, and a producer, and his music is very orchestral. And, and working with Yoan, his real name is Yoan, and working with Yoan, it was this first taste of me kind of seeing, huh? Sonically, I can be doing different Things. And it's the first time that I really kind of clicked in with kind of the, I, I would guess, I would say this inkling of wanting to have a sense of musicianship. Um, and then I thought, huh, I've been kind of making my music, you know, in this very juvenile way. You know, you just show up to the studio or you show up to the producer's house, you smoke some weed, you drink some whiskey, and in about five hours the track is done. So Working with Yohan, that was that first initial little sprinkle, right? Then I had that experience where for four months I was working with Kanye. And you know, people can say whatever they want about Kanye, but in my experience of him, he was so encouraging. He would honestly tell me like multiple times a week, like, you are great, you're a great songwriter, like you need to channel that. And and in that experience of working with Kanye for those four months. I just saw how he worked on music and I was wowed by it. Just like sonically, I was just like, oh shit, like you think a song is done and then someone is doing an orchestral version and then someone is doing a house version and then someone is doing like a fucking flamenco version And and now and now we're gonna sit in the studio and listen to all of them, and he's gonna be like, actually, I want the keys from the flamenco version. Actually, I want the synth from the techno version. When I saw how that, when I basically was invited into like you know Warhol's factory, I was like, okay, wait, like I should be approaching my shit way differently. And then after the Mickey album, I just asked myself an honest question: Can I bump a Mickey Blanco record from start to finish, and it's fire? And I said, no, I had great singles. I've had great career moments. I'm a great performer, I think. But like, can I bump a Mickey record from start to finish and the whole thing is fire? And I said, no, hell no. And that was a problem.
0: (laughs) So I want to go back to something you said, because I really want to talk. One, I mean, I can bump a Mickey album from start to finish, but that's, I suppose, besides the point. (laughs) so I think about I think back to when I first saw you live which was maybe 2013 or 14 and so much of what was surrounding you I think in the press at that time so many people talk about you as ahead of your time which I think about this and how it's projected upon particularly black artists and particularly queer artists as a mode of both compliment but in a way kind of erasing history and By limiting a future, I mean, you're still very young with a lot of career ahead of you and a lot of growth and evolution. I mean, judging from, I mean, you know, the new album, first of all, is wonderful. And what really sent me to this line of inquiry was that I I listened to the new album and I was like, well, this is a different artist than the artist that everyone was telling me was so far ahead of their time. So I'm wondering how you respond to that type of praise, which is praise and I think true praise, but also, you know, how it can possibly limit the fullness of your career and growth.
1: Well, so this is what's really funny. I guess, I guess we're going to (laughs) see. Because (laughs) because, I remember Kathleen Hanna said something to me when we were working together during that period. She was like, some of us are archived before we even peak. Mm -hmm. And okay, so I get it, right? Like, Literally, like I, I get it, and and you know, really, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like an arrogant piece of shit when I say this, but it's just, I do understand. It's like me, Leaf, Cakes, Tequila, Big Frida, like we literally helped pioneer this atmosphere of of acceptance that people get to enjoy right now, right? And so, one of the things that happens usually with people who pioneer something is, you know. It's that old thing of people saying, oh, you know, so-and-so never got their roses. Or, you know, so-and-so never got their due. And, I mean, my audience is going to change because the music has changed so much. But also, you know, it's like the creation of Mickey Blanco as this multidisciplinary video art project, okay? That was the birth of, of, of me discovering my gender identity. I had thought that I was just a little gay boy up until that moment. And... When I started experimenting uh honestly with dress and with characterization, and then all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, wait, this is not a character. this is my personality." oh like ooh, let me sh-. like you know it's like it's like you know the birth of of really my trans journey that it was it was such a spiritual experience that coincided with the career, you know um and so that was a moment that I lived 2010, two thousand and ten two thousand and eleven. And so just talking strictly about just career, career, you know, I made a decision this record and kind of going forward. And even though there actually are going to be moments where I present as femme, you know, in different different aspects whenever I want, it's just not going to be the constant that it was for the last, you know, nine and a half years, just because I'm just, I'm in a different place in my life. Like I feel, I feel very whole, kind of just, as I am. And so that is going to also be this interesting thing because for a lot of people sonically, and now kind of with this image switch up, I'm going to be a brand new artist. So it's, it's going to be a surreal thing. And I look to legends, okay? Like, I may not be a legend at all, but I look to people like Prince and Madonna and David Bowie, primarily Bowie. Even though I know Bowie stole a bunch, it's like he was a creative polymath. And it's like, that—that that is mother. Like she, had er- like, she had eras. See, she switched it up. Like, she never stayed in the same look. And it's just like, I was very much like, this is now that full shift where this is like a new era.
0: I really want to talk about Summer Fling and Free Ride, particularly as a back to back, as as those like as a choice to have those back to back on the album. I'm a, I'm a sucker for sequencing, you know, and this is to say nothing about the songs that surround it, but I felt like the album has such a good entry point. And then we get those two songs and those two songs I think hold so much, both lyrically, but also just sonically. Since no one's talked to you about the actual bones of the album, I because I, that's what I'm into. There's so many big, juicy, wonderful choruses and interludes within songs. Like what I like about Free Ride is that it's mostly chorus. And then there's that interlude kind of dropped in the middle. And then we get out of that and right into (laughs) just this really relentless nonstop chorus that carries us to the end. There's something about your music that has become more magnetic to me, I think perhaps as, as you've evolved. And I think so much of that rests, um, Rest in the in the chorus space or the the intros like like Patriarch Ain't the Enemy has that re- that really great intro that I love, I just
1: Mike wouldn't do that y'all. Oh come on, Mike, don't play with my money. Wait no, he wouldn't do that y'all. What I think when you're younger, especially if you're in a rap lane, you're always like, okay, where are my bars? Where, are my, bars? where are my bars super fire? You know, like did I bring it to the table? Like. I love being black. I love black culture, right? But, Mm -hmm. like, I have to keep it real. Like, hip-hop has never done shit for me. So, like, I was like, okay, I keep being celebrated in these indie lanes. I keep being celebrated in these other lanes, you know, dance music or whatever. Yeah, like, okay, like, what can I do? Like, I am a good rapper. Like, I rap well. But this (laughs) hip-hop box is not working. And, like, two things that I'm into authenticity and longevity and the mm-hmm. and and just hip hop like i just i kind of had an epiphany one day where i was like yo like rap rap is like i love my people but rap ain't doing shit for me so you know it's this thing of like kind of shifting from like a oh how can this be the best rap song to how can it just be the best song and like sometimes that means that maybe like i'm not on it that much Mm -hmm. or i am on it in a way that fits the context of the track and and that's something that changed for me like okay like i think on the album one of the songs that i rap the best is trust you know uh what do you see when you look at me what you think when you blink and you cannot leave i cannot breathe the feeling is inconclusive so elusive borderline damn abusive hold your heart when you hold my hand these situations we cannot plan faith in me shorty faith indeed let's be one no forsaking me I do bad, you do bad too. You point at me, I point at you. It's silly shit, it's not the vision. Crash, collision, God, my witness. Trust I'm in this, trust I'm with this. No bad business, I'm straight up. I can't front on the one I love. A different high, yo, it ain't no buzz. It must be love, it must be trust. I've never written a lyric that's more vulnerable than that in my entire career. And so I've just realized, you know, it's like, you will have those moments, those divinely inspired moments where you will wrap your ass off on a track and that's cool. But then you have like, a track like Free Ride where it's the whole thing where I don't got to be on it every second for it to be a good song.
0: (laughs) I wanted to ask about Big Frida and I wanted to particularly talk a little bit about Legacy and her legacy and the legacy of some other artists who have informed your work and who I hear in, in your work. Because I do think that what happens with Black artists, particularly, is people who are often commentating. Like white folks are often commentating on the cultural production of Black folks, tend to make it seem as though there's only one. Like like genius is scarce, and so there's only one person operating in a a specific quote unquote lane, and there's no one who came before them. There's no one who will come after, and this kind of thing. And um, but I, you know, I know you know this, but sonically and also, you are both one of a kind. But I see so many parts of others that inform your your one of a kindness so it was really great to hear that's folks and get to the end and have that be where the album ends and i was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that collaboration or and or about some of the inspirations that you have pulled from to kind of create your your singular body of work so the last
1: time i had seen frida was in helsinki finland and we were both <laughs> we were both playing a festival that, no pun intended, was called Queer Festival. Um, oh no! And you know, Frida has had such monumental career success these last few years. But Frida very much so for a long time, like auntie, mother, big sis, like like Frida, Frida was very much so just one of those international showgirls. It's like. You know, someone like Frida, like, Frida was not going to wait for, like, the world or to wait for the United States, I should say, to catch on to bounce. It's like, girl, if people in Europe, if people in South America, if people in Asia, if people in Australia are down and we got our booking agents and we making money on tour, like, you know, get, you know, get it. And, you know, I, I came after Frida.
0: I mean, in a career, in a life as an artist of just having the mentality of not waiting for and not being concerned with people catching up. Do you still feel like now you're not waiting for anyone and just doing your own thing, or do you feel like you've got enough of you're beloved enough or checked for enough now well, that you're that people have caught up a little bit?
1: You know, you just you put in the work, and for almost ten years of my life, I've been able to live from my art. This is coming from somebody who didn't have money for the subway, somebody who, you know, who did sex work, somebody who, you know what I mean, experienced a lot of trauma, somebody who, you know what I mean, like, I have this from the Mickey album, I have this. This like this line where it's like it's so corny, but I'm like I worked in galleries without a salary. Like, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that line. You know what
1: I mean? Like, yeah. So it's like it's like the fact that I have like I am a artsy freaky art school kid. The fact that I have managed to live off of my art for ten years that is a blessing. Like, that is a blessing in and of itself that my mom <laughs> hasn't had to pay my rent. You know, and I've had quality of life. I tell people like don't don't tell me I should have blown up whenever I I should or or maybe something should have happened sooner or you wish or oh I didn't get my roses, honey. Trust me, I'm going to get my
0: roses. I love that. Thank you, Mickey Blanco. I mean, in my world, you already already got your roses, but I do hope you get several, several more. <laughs> and uh, by the time this is out, people will be able to hear the album, and I, I I hope that they love it as much as I did. Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Mickey Blanco's newest album, Broken Hearts in Beauty Sleep, is out now on Transgressive Records. And now for a final thought. Mickey said that great thing in the interview about how one can be archived in their time. And I think a lot about how to call an artist ahead of their time is um, generous, but also potentially punishing. It seems like a compliment. And it is a title, I think, that... I think that often gets projected upon black artists or any artists who are creating work that the broader public is not yet ready to receive. I think about a time this happened not with a black artist, but with the New York dolls. I always saw you just before
1: the dawn, when all the other kids had just along.
0: In my home, I have this photo of the New York Dolls very, very early where they're like wearing suits and hanging out of the car in New York with these Tommy guns. This was before the first album came out. But it's this thing where you can tell, you could see how youthful they were and how playful they were and how that playfulness eventually did transfer into the first album. But because they were a band that no one had experienced before, making music that people felt like they were never going to see from anyone else again... There was this pressure put on them, it felt like, to continually produce in a way that fed the machinery of the future people wanted to touch. And one thing I worry about now, with young Black artists in particular, is how expectations can really crush an artist's ability to create on their own terms. The desire to build people up on a pedestal and make them singular, I think it can do some real damage. And This is why it was so great to hear Mickey Blanco talk about all the artists who came before them. It is always great for me as an artist to remember that I am not doing anything new, that I am walking in the lineage of artists who have done the same things that I have done before I have done them, and that it is my work and it is all of our work as creators to carry on in the spirit of those who gave us the tools before us. And I think it is important to... Instead of imagining someone as solely ahead of their time, simply as thinking of it as an opportunity for us as listeners, as readers, as consumers of product to catch up to them as quickly as we can. You're listening to Object of Sound from Sonos. Big thank you to our guest this week, Mickey Blanco, for bringing Singular Exuberance to the show. If you want to hear all the music and the full version of the show, you can listen on Sonos Radio or find us at Mixcloud.com Sonos. And while you're there, we recommend you check out The Lighthouse, a new radio station from Brian Eno, containing both new and unreleased works, which you can find exclusively on Sonos Radio HD. Go to Sonos.com Sonos radio for a free trial. You can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you like what you hear, go ahead and rate it and share it with your friends. This is a communal thing, music discovery. So tell us what you like about the show and what you're listening to. Let us know your thoughts in an email at objectofsound at sonos.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sonos Radio. This show is produced by Work by Work, Scott Newman, Gemma Rose Brown, Babette Thomas, Mayari Sharina Ong, and by me, Hanif Abdurraqib. The show is mixed by Sam Baer. Extra gratitude to Joe Dawson and Saida Blount at Sonos. I'm always talking about music online on Instagram and Twitter at Neef Muhammad. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being a part of the show.